Welcome to the Board Game Community Show, the podcast where we get to know people throughout the board game community. I'm your host, Riley Stock. Today, I am rejoined by somebody who has already been on the podcast. And what's even crazier is that this person is the only person to have come on in person, and they are now in person again. That's right. Today, we have... Phil Amelon! Again! Hey! Hey, it's uh, it's in my contract to only appear on this show in person. Yeah, it's That's mine too. Yeah. Like, I can't have any other in-person guests. So, Makes it works. Sense. Works. Definitely. Yeah, you're a master negotiator. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> so Phil completed his bike across America, and and now he's driving a car. It's really weird. It it is weird. I feel like I teleport places now. Yeah. Like I woke up yesterday morning and I was in Los Angeles. Or not oh. yesterday. Two days ago, I was in Los Angeles, and now I'm here. And that journey on a bicycle would take I don't know a month or something. <laughs> So yeah, this, uh, imagine using a plane that's, that will just be actual teleportation at that point. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Which you're <laughs> planning on using in like three weeks. I might. Yeah. There's either plane or train depends on what I feel like. What? Trains are fun. Have you I... ever done a cross country train trip? No, but I keep looking at them cause I want to. There is an alert to that. Um, yeah. Like on Amtrak. Yeah. So right. in, what was it? It was like 2009. I took a train from Los Angeles to Massachusetts and so that was like a four day journey. Um, and it was memorable because I saw five people get arrested <laughs> on the train. Yep, Trains are, well, they're interesting places. Um, the two ones that stick out are, so my first night on the train, uh, I was like in line to use the bathroom and this guy behind me tries to sell me like meth or something. I forget. He was like, do you want to buy some? I don't remember. And exactly. of course you bought it. That's I, why you don't remember. <laughs> so high. I politely declined. <laughs> but like two hours later, I saw that same guy running up and down the train cars shirtless. So he was the first person to get arrested from the train. All gone. Uh, and then the next one that stands out is uh, we we made like a two hour stop in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, so I was getting off the train to go somewhere to eat because I was sick of train food. Um, and while I'm getting off, one passenger is getting arrested. I don't know why he was getting arrested, but his friend definitely got arrested because he assaulted the officer arresting the first guy. It was oh like, you can't do that to my friend. And then instantly in handcuffs. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that part was fun. <laughs> Plus, also, I mean, outside of that sort of like clownish entertainment, uh, it was really fun to sit in the observation car and just like I met random other people that were also riding a train across the country, and just like there's sort of a bonding process that goes on there. Yeah, I don't know how much that would happen in in the times of the pandemic, but yeah. at least back then, it was an interesting experience. So, I'm considering doing that again. Oh man, that sounds yeah. awesome. It's like a dream of mine to do that. Cause I, I don't think I've, we have tracks here, which is like the, like a trolley in San Francisco type thing, essentially. But mm-hmm. you know, it's enclosed and probably faster. Yeah. Uh, but I just, I've never done a train train and it sounds awesome. It's pretty cool. Is it 
I, we're just going to go off on tangent. Yeah. Well, we have no we're, plan. We're tangent yeah, we're central. Just, yeah. yeah. We're just hanging out. <laughs> this is impromptu. Like, uh, Phil is staying. He stayed at my place last night. We play tested some games. We'll talk about that, I'm sure, in a minute. Cool. Why not? Why not? And we were like, well, while you're here, why don't we just record? No Makes plan. sense. Yeah. All right. Uh, trains, are they bumpy? Is it? Yeah. So I didn't get like a sleeper car. So I was just sleeping in like my coach seat, which on a train is still pretty spacious. And I, you know, it wasn't super full. So I didn't have anyone next to me. So like I had room to sort of spread out. Uh-huh. And for the first couple of days, that was fine. But the last day, especially, I had a really hard time sleeping because of just the noise of the train. Like there is a constant background noise that is your the the wheels of the train on the track and it can get pretty loud and yes it gets bumpy um and the whole next day i remember you know finally getting home and sleeping in my own bed and still feeling the motion of the train and hearing this sort of like constant whoosh in my ear and i I was worried for one night i'm like is this just how i'm gonna sleep now am i gonna survive Um, but that eventually went away. But yeah, so there is that element to it. I don't know if that's different or reduced in like a sleeper car. If there's any kind of sound proofing in those, I would guess not. I think you're like, that's part of the experience. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's hard to sound. Pro- well, I don't know. It'd be hard to soundproof because it's vibration. Right? Yeah. Like no, well, I know that part's not going to. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know if any of the other outside, like the whistles. I mean, the, the train has to blow whistles. Basically, every town it goes through to warn people it's not going to hit them. So. Yeah. So, Yeah. Um, but maybe there's some suspend more suspension or something in the, I don't know, to produce shit. I think, I think, yeah. I think I'm just making stuff up. Though. I'm like wishful thinking now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting, uh, I don't know. I guess though, at least you have a bed. Yeah. The, super, being the sleeper cars look interesting. If you ever read up on it, like people, oh, yeah. people write articles about like I traveled from, you know, Miami to New York via train. And this was my experience. And so I you, you can get a good sense of what, who expect yeah i didn't know that you could like just have a passenger seat i thought you had to have a sleeper car because we've looked and like oh that's like not Uh, too pricey but it's a little expensive it can get pretty expensive yeah so like just having um just having a coach seat from like seattle to los angeles which is a 33 hour ride that's only like 100 bucks or 118 bucks or something like that but if you get a sleeper car it can be thousand bucks if, it, yeah. if you find a deal like 500 bucks like it you know it depends that's what i was thinking it's like yeah. that's like a cruise <clears throat> a cheap cruise something like that yeah but we were looking at one actually that goes to salt lake to seattle to los angeles back to salt lake Ooh, i think actually no i think the problem was the one we could find it was it did it in a the different order seattle la it started in Seattle and then went to Salt Lake and then back to Seattle. But I'm From sure here. that you could, you can make it work. work. Yeah. Like you probably sure. go here to LA and transfer and then go to Seattle. Right. Yeah. I can't imagine that. So there's not enough train travel in this country, which is really unfortunate. So I'm right. kind of, I, I, I'd be surprised if there was a direct line from Salt Lake to Seattle. Now that I think about it, we could look it up. Yeah, we could. We're not All right, do here that. we go. Da, 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 da. I don't think that makes for fascinating listening, but <laughs> just googling. All right, listeners, we got this. Okay, is it this link? Mm. You guys are riveted. Uh, well, anyways, train travel. Train travel is interesting. It's exciting. You'll meet people. They'll try to sell you things. 
which actually leads me into a different story. So at the end of my bike trip, in the day after I finished, I'm hanging out in San Francisco. Uh, I'm walking my bike along uh, the piers down there on my way to the, the their sort of local train station. They call it the BART, the Bay Area some Rapid Transit, I think is what it's called. Oh, okay. But it gets you all around the San Francisco Bay Area to like all the different cities. Uh, and I was going to visit my uncle. And on the way, I had another person offer me drugs because apparently this is what happens when you travel. And he was like, do you want to buy some hash? And I was like, no, I'm, I'm good. Do you want to? Do you want to trade your bike for some hash? Oh my gosh! <laughs> and I was definitely not doing that. <laughs> um, but that was just that was hilarious. Like, there's this interesting local economy. I think I actually posted this on Twitter, and we talked a little bit about this. Did we? I don't know if you remember this. I don't remember. All right. Did it happen yesterday? Because if not, it did not happen yesterday. Yeah, I don't remember. No, all right, that's there. <laughs> Riley the goldfish. Did I, like I tell it. you that? I also in San Francisco, I was on like a choir tour. Yes. This is what you responded on Twitter. Oh, okay. No, tell the story. This yes. is, this That's is great. It, then. Okay. All right. So I'm in San Francisco on choir tour, you know, just walking down the street with all of these other choir kids. Wait, you innocent choir kids, right? Teenagers, 16, 17 years old. And some guy just stops me. And at first I was really taken back because he asked if I had hash. And I was like, what? I don't even know what hash is. You got any hash? Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> no, I, no, I don't. And then he he's like, well, do you want some? What? No, no, I don't. <laughs> so, so at so first weird. it's like, like you thought you were, you were trying to sell hash, but then it, you became the customer. That's what I thought. <laughs> like I, my very first impression was like, do I look like a drug dealer? Like I'm in this weird zip up jacket and maybe that's a drug dealer jacket. I don't know. <laughs> if you got enough pockets, you can put whatever you want. It had those. no pockets. Oh, well then. Yeah. I don't know where I'm keeping my dress. It was like a zip-up sweater. Yeah. That's a good description of this this clothing. You sound very proper. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was an ugly, ugly sweater. <laughs> oh, well. I don't even know. Ugly sweater kids are definitely... I mean, you need to yeah. do something to escape that reality. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see. Uh-huh. Yeah, but what makes you think I can afford a... Like, All right, that's fair. That's I can't fair. afford a good-looking sweater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, a lot similar. of interesting stories start with, hey, this guy tried to sell me drugs. Yeah. <laughs> and then they become this weird barter system. So, that's the thing. So, um, you could have perhaps traded your sweater for some hash oh. and got involved in the local economy because then you could wheel that hash into a new bike. Yeah. And you could have got back to Salt Lake on your own. It would have been interesting. <laughs> oh, that's where our conversation <laughs> went, huh? Cause you were saying so. like, Oh, I could have, it's that whole trade. Uh, it's a barter economy penny to get a dime and a dime to get a quarter, you know? Like, oh, well there's that guy who traded a paperclip for a house. Yeah. He, saw, he started with a paperclip and somehow worked his way up to a house. I think, I think part of that was because people bought into what he was trying to do. And they were like, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll give you a lopsided trade so that you can do this goofy thing. Yeah. Uh, but it was still, it's a fascinating story. I think he did a Ted talk. Oh, I wonder something like that. I, I remember seeing him talk about it. It's a really fascinating yeah. journey. If you don't know about the journey of trading a paperclip <laughs> into a house, you should check that out. Yeah. One of the trades along the way could be some hash for a bike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then bike or for more hash. Yeah. <laughs> It's actually so. Then you trade a bike for like five sweaters, and then you've basically cornered the market Ooh. of San Francisco sweaters. <laughs> yeah, they're obsessed with that out there. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're just making stuff up about San Francisco now. San Francisco. It's a weird place. I liked it, actually. I did, too. Yeah. <laughs> I'd go back. Absolutely. Think, so, it's funny. Um, I think starting here is when I started to notice a lot more uh, homelessness. Oh, yeah. On the bike journey. Um, and I don't know exactly why that is. But it was pretty much guaranteed um, that once I hit a bike path from Salt Lake, west of Salt Lake, basically from here all the way to the end of my journey, that the bike paths would have a lot of homeless encampments on it. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess maybe because the previous parts of my trip were in colder areas. And so like a lot of the bike trails that I was on before here were in like, uh, the Midwest. And so I guess maybe permanent homeless encampments on those places don't make a lot of sense because it's going to get so cold. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just speculating now. I don't know. It gets pretty cold here. I don't, but we do have snow on the ground for months at a time. Cold though. No, Yeah. You're right. You're right. These places will have that. And so maybe that's why I didn't see it as often, but out here, especially uh, the bike pass in Reno, lots and lots of, of homeless people. Um, and I don't know why I started talking about that, but it was like, uh, when we talk about sort of like, you know, the bike trip and like things that I reflected on, you know, part of the reason I took the bike trip was to see different parts of the country. And this was a part of the country that I saw that made me very uncomfortable with, uh, you know, I never really felt unsafe in these areas, which I think is sort of a common question that people ask. Like I, I was never riding through a homeless encampment or like having a conversation with a homeless person where like I felt in danger, uh, where I, where I felt in danger and frustrated was that as a country, we allow this to happen where we ignore large groups of people to the point where they have to be out there. And yeah, like they like just give people homes. Yeah. Just like, how do you solve homelessness? You give people homes. How is that something that we haven't managed to wrap our head around? It's, it makes no sense to me. Uh, it's and a, just an, an immense sadness as I was riding yeah. through these places. And uh Yeah. I don't know. I don't know where to go with that. I don't have any solutions. I'm just sort of emotionally talking through parts of the journey now, I think. It's weird. So we used to have one homeless shelter, like main homeless shelter in Salt Lake. Mm -hmm. And so like there was a park where uh, it was just known as the homeless encampment. Like you wouldn't, people wouldn't walk through there because it was somebody the other day said that they did a concert there. They were setting up for a concert and somebody got stabbed it was their first day working and the more experienced people were like, Oh yeah, this happens like every day. Mm. Uh, and so they're like, if you don't walk through here, like you're going to get mugged, you're going to get stabbed, which is really sad. And I, not to say that all homeless people are dangerous, not, you know, like not by any means, but that was just that area. Uh, and so they tried to clean that up by building three other homeless shelters. Mm-hmm. And it was really weird. It was a really sad experience because they would build it like in Murray, which is a nice area. Uh, And people would get really upset. Like, don't put that there. You're going to ruin our neighborhood. And it's like, no, like they're trying to like help these people. Like it's a, it really is a good thing. And like giving them multiple areas to go to. So they don't have to like all cluster there and like it's 
gets cold. They run out of rooms all the time. So like, that's why those encampments even exist is because, you know, like there's only so many beds at a homeless shelter that they can hold. Right. And we're just, Utah's terrible at it. We're growing even more, you know, like it's, yeah, it's a growing number. And it's sad. It's really sad, but I think it helped a little bit, but not as, not as much as people hoped. Yeah. But I remember seeing when they first opened them, we were downtown eating at a restaurant and like cops would pull over if they saw a homeless person and like get them into their car so they could transport them to one of these other shelters. But I guess more of like a helpful kind of thing, not just a, I don't know. Yeah. Like one of them, the lady didn't want to go and he was like insisting on it. Other times they like were kind of fine. But I remember one lady who was just like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. This is where I am. Like, this is where I live. Mm -hmm. And it was sad. And I'm just like, I don't know what to do here. You know, like, I don't know what the right thing would be. Because there might be, she seemed like she had some mental health stuff going on. Well, I think there's a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. I am. It's, man, it's so frustrating. And I think. Something as like a maybe a point of this discussion from my point of view is that people need to get out there and see stuff firsthand. Um, you know, I, I have a lot of friends back home who, you know, we grew up in kind of a rural area of Rhode Island and they have just stayed there their entire lives and they haven't gone out and had any kind of experience in the world. And they have these they have views of different parts of the country that just are they're just wrong because they've never been there before and they haven't experienced them. Um, and I think that everyone needs to do that. Yeah. So I think that as I reflect back on the trip, like it was very valuable for me to go to different places and see how different parts of the country live. Um, and I mean that from a lot of different ways. Like, um, I think of these small towns out here that have maybe 300 people in them and all this space that's occupied by, farmland and or desert or um yeah and and so like that's interesting like to sort of get a feel of maybe why those people believe the way they do and i think they maybe haven't escaped their you know their hometown ever um but then also riding through uh you know more populated areas and and seeing this homeless epidemic that we have um when I, i after my trip i took a I took a ride up to not a bike ride. I, I drove up to Seattle and I visited with the Seattle community, the game design community, but you know, some of the, some of the homeless stuff up there. Uh, I remember Ashwin, uh, Kameth pointing out to me, uh, what was a homeless encampment where they came in, you know, the cops came in and kicked everyone out and all they did was just put a big fence around it. And so it was just this big fenced off empty lot. Like, why are we why are we wasting time and resources to kick people out of a place just to put a fence around it and, and not even use the space Yeah, for anything other than just like, it's just pavement. It's just there. Yeah. How does that make any sense? Yeah. It's so weird. Oh, like we went to Portland earlier this year. Yeah. And there are those encampments, like mm-hmm. anywhere you can have space. Like if there's a park yeah. encampments, you know, it's, it's what you imagine of like tarp buildings and, mm-hmm plywood buildings yeah um but i think that they actually have like a law protecting them and so they're allowed to live there and 
And so it was actually a really cool experience, especially once I learned that part that it was like, no, they're very welcoming of that. Like they want to like give them a safe space. It granted there's, there's a better way. (laughs) Imagine if we just took that a step further and that space that they're already using, we just decided to build a bunch of housing for them there. That's it. Yeah. Building a little apartment thing complex there that you can give them actual warm homes with heating and AC or whatever, you know, like right. something that, yeah, I and, agree. And that's something I would be happy to have my tax dollars pay for. I know. Like, I, I know that there, there are probably people out there who are like, well, they have to earn it. They have to work to do it. It's like, I mean, no, <laughs> just don't feel that way. Yeah. I feel like, I don't know. There's sort of a basic level of human rights that have to do with food and shelter and heat. Yeah. And probably a few other things on that list. Medical care. Medical. Hey, hey, America, what's up with that? Yeah. Just throwing that out there. We're getting real political today, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, but it doesn't, it, that's like, that's the sad thing is it should, taking care of someone shouldn't be political. I agree with that. Yeah. Like, it should just be something we do as a society. Yeah. Like, why, why do we have a society in the first place if we're not taking care of people? Yeah. If you, if you want to go off and be by yourself and, and not, give a bleep about anyone then okay but that doesn't sound like you're part of society you you can go be a a mountain man or or something like that (laughs) your grizzled beard and you can ignore me and you can i guess get your own water from the streams and hunt but don't come to uh, don't come to us for stuff i don't know (laughs) i'm just uh i'm airing some frustrations i think And and the frustrations all come from a place of why aren't we taking care of people yeah. Why aren't we uh, getting vaccinated? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very apparent right now in this time. Like, uh, just, well, I had a farmer who was very anti vax. Uh, a lot of the farmers are anti Joe, anti, yeah. you know, like, I get my nutrients from the dirt. Yeah. I'll be safe. <laughs> <laughs> and so I actually, I, had, I hadn't talked to him for like two months. I called him up. I was checking on him and he's like, Oh man, uh, I, I haven't been working very much cause I got COVID and my wife got COVID and her brother died from COVID. And I was, me and my wife were in our hot, the hospital for three weeks. And he's like, I just, I did not think that this was as serious as it was, you know, like I'm out here in farmland. I never thought I could get it. I, mm-hmm. I didn't even know if it was like a real thing. And, definitely didn't believe in the vaccine. And he's like, and now I'm waiting for my second shot. Like my second shot is in a week and a half. And I am so excited to get that because I would not wish this on anybody. And he's like, I, I can't imagine if I gave it to my dad, who's a lot older and my, you know, like he came around, but then there's other people. Uh, I might have some relatives that are like, got it, had it really, really bad. And they're like, no, now I had it. And now I'm, I, I would do it again because now I've built the immunity. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, no. I don't get it. <sighs> so it took that man losing his brother-in-law before he would he would get a shot. Yeah. It's, I bet even if he just had the three weeks in the hospital. You think he would have got it? I think he would have. Yeah. Well, I mean, at least that. But there is, there is some element of you know, how much do you have to personally be affected 
before you'll get up off the couch and do something about it. Yeah. And it's, it's unfortunate. I, I don't remember where I heard this. And so it might not be true, but <laughs> I will uh, say it anyway. My, my understanding historically of Americans attitudes towards the Vietnam war was that it, it essentially had to get to the point where basically everyone at least knew someone who had died or lost someone in the war before the majority of Americans had sort of turned against it. Really? And so I, I wonder if that's where we're headed with COVID. It will, it will take COVID personally touching the lives of everyone before enough of us are like, Oh yeah, this was bad. Yeah. Uh, and then of course they'll all pretend that they were against it in the first place or something. Exactly. Yeah. You know what? And I don't care if you want to pretend like you were against yeah, just get the shot. Like, like, just uh, get it. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> just I'll welcome shot. you to this side. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you were here all along. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Except you weren't, and you spread it. No, I don't know. Sometimes ah, that's the thing, right? Like you don't know if you. Sometimes you don't know if you have it. You're you may be asymptomatic, or even like, oh, well, I don't feel great today, but I'm sure it's nothing. I'm going to go to the store and do my shopping, and I'm going to go to work and hang out with all these people, and maybe infect them all. <sighs> yep. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, <laughs> we're hitting all the hot topics today. We are welcome to. Uh, Board game community. So gun uh, control, huh? Oh my! Please don't. Oh no! <laughs> now this is board. Well, game now content. that you brought it up, I have a story from this, uh, or from the trip about that very subject. Oh really? Yeah. So, okay. Well, let's I, do it. <laughs> yeah, I was in. Where was I? Somewhere in the Midwest. I want to say I was in Indiana or Illinois, and I was stopping at a gas station, and um, my gas station routine is basically grab a Gatorade and like some peanuts or some kind of jerky and like sit outside the gas station and enjoy a nice snack before I ride, you know, more miles for the day. And so I'm sitting outside with my Gatorade and this guy pulls up in like a Chevy truck and kind of gives me the, the up and down once over. Cause I'm in my full bike outfit and I have, you know, all my gear. And so at first, at first I knew a conversation was going to happen with this gentleman, but my first instinct was, Oh, is this guy going to like, rag on me or like call me a bunch of names or something, just the way he was looking at me. Uh, but the conversation I did have was very unexpected. He, he started talking to me. He was like, how far are you headed? And he was actually interested. So I think he was like into the whole bike thing, hmm. but we eventually got to the point where um, he just sort of cut me off at one point. And he's like, so are you armed? And I was like, I was like, no, I did think about it for a couple days of like the logistics of like carrying a gun across the United States, because, you know, I was a little scared at first. Um, I, I've since now that I've done it, I'm not scared. And I would, I would not ever think about bringing any kind of like weapon or, or mace or anything with me. Like I, now that I've done it, I feel like it's I per- imagine perfectly safe. A medieval mace, by the a, way. A medieval mace. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. To be, to be in board game character, I would have to do that. Yeah. Uh, but before I took the journey, there was a little element of me that was like, oh, I'm going to be by myself at night, especially when I thought about camping. And I was like, I'm a little scared. So I did like look into it for just like a little bit. Yeah. It's understandable. Like, yeah, yeah. It's, was, a, it's a very real fear. I yeah. Think. Something. Um, so, so I explained to this guy that it would just be the logistics of getting a gun license in every single state that I was going to go through would have been just like ridiculous. And so, and so that's where I sort of dropped it. And, and for me, I didn't explain this part, but for me, that was kind of a relief. So I could just like stop thinking about it and be like, you know, I have this excuse now as to why I didn't take one. Um, but he, 
I don't remember how much of that explanation I got through before he cut me off and he was like, I don't like it. It was so clear that this guy would be too scared to do this at all. Like he's, I don't like it. You, you need protection. You can't, you can't be out there. You're, you're going to be going to all these places. <laughs> um, and there's some element of that from some, you know, some of my friends back home, they were like, you're going to, you're going to Minneapolis and you're not going to have a weapon with you. And I'm like, it's, it's just a place in America. You're scared because you've never gone. Just go. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's my random gun story. I, you know, just meeting a person who couldn't, who couldn't fathom like leaving the security of his hometown, I guess, without some kind of weapon. Weird. And it's, I don't know. It's really sad to me that like we have elements in our society that are so scared to the point where they, they have to do that. Yeah. And they can't, they can't live any kind of life without, without a gun. Oh yeah. Yeah. (sighs) It's yeah. Really sad. I, I mean, and I know like, I guess I don't know exactly what your stance on guns is, but I know like a lot of really anti-gun people who like something really scary happened or was happening around them or in the country, right? Where they're like, should I get a gun? Do I need a gun? Like, I don't know, you know, like, because scary stuff happens and it is a, it feels like a safety possibility, but I don't know. It does. And I th- so, and I think I sort of went through that emotional journey when I thought yeah. about, Hey, I'm going to take this bike trip. And so one of my first emotional reactions was I'm going to be scared. What's a way I can fix that fear. And my thought was maybe I should think about getting a gun. Um, I've never fired a gun in my life. I've never, <laughs> I've never held a gun. I'm not even sure I've been in the same room with, as a gun before, but that's about it. Um, my ex's dad was a gun person. Oh, okay. Yeah. We, we didn't see the eye to eye and a lot of stuff, but yeah, um, I, but, but I did. So I did go through that process. And so, and so I understand being afraid and wanting something to fix that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. What's the other part? I feel like I, I was going somewhere with that and I forgot. Oh, what was the other part of your question? Do you remember what you said? I said, I don't know what your stance is on guns, but now I do. Oh yeah. So I guess, I mean, I don't know if I have an official stance per se. I know that there's tons of evidence that show that other countries that don't allow guns everywhere people get shot less and that sounds like a pretty cool thing that maybe we should think about. Yeah. But I don't know, for some reason we're a country that doesn't care about science and studies and and looking at facts. So I guess that's my stance. It would be cool if we looked at facts and then made decisions based on those facts. Yeah. That's where I'm at. Yeah. I I agree. Look at this. We really are hitting all the big stuff. Uh, What else do you want to talk about? (laughs) No, I want to hear about more stories from your what are some highlights now that you've finished your journey? What are the big highlights? Oh man. Obviously Utah was your absolute favorite. Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) No, Utah was great. Um, So I think one of the highlights for me is sort of an overall taking the detour when I got to Fargo and I was supposed to go North and I decided not to because of the fires coming down here had a lot of, ups and downs. And I think it taught me a lot more than if I had just gone the original way. Um, and Utah was great. This was actually one of the only places I stopped on this second half of the trip where there was a design community and everyone here was very welcoming and awesome. And obviously I came back. I liked it so much. Uh, so I did, I really enjoyed that. That was a lot of fun. Um, highlights. Loveland pass was a highlight and that was the highest point of the trip. It was in Colorado and it was almost, 
It was 12,000 feet. The, the, officially, the pass is 11,990 feet, but they have a little hill that they sort of purposely built nearby. Oh, my gosh. And you can walk up so you can say that you're 12,000 feet. So I did that. Um, that was a highlight for me. That was a really tough day. Um, I haven't posted about this. I, I wrote about it, but haven't posted it yet. But I cried that day. I, I was like, I was emotionally drained at that point in the trip. But I knew that I once I got past that, I felt like the hardest parts of the trip were going to be over because it was more downhill than not from that point on. There were definitely still uphills and steep climbs, but everything past that point, as I was going up, I just kept telling myself, you've been higher than this. Yeah. And so it doesn't matter. Um, and I just remember like that day riding up that pass because we're talking, it was miles and miles of uphill long, long stretches of uphill, not incredibly steep, but like just a constant wearing you down sort of thing. And I just remember talking myself up and being like, Appalachian mountains, you thought you were going to get me. You can't get me. I'm here now. And like, you know, uh, smoke, smoke. You thought you could get me. Nope. Headwinds. Nope. I, that's, is that a new band? I have never heard of that band before. (laughs) And just like basically talking a bunch of trash about all the previous obstacles I had faced on the trip. And, uh, so there was something, there was an emotional release definitely at the top of that mountain um, where I just, I just cried. And part of it was like feeling like I had sort of accomplished something at that point. Um, part of it was like still knowing that I had a lot to go and I was exhausted. I'm like, I don't know if I can go this far because I still hadn't decided at that point in the trip that I was going to give up on the whole getting to the West Coast by a certain date thing. Oh, that's so there right, was yeah. still this sort of like time pressure. Um but overall, I'd say that entire day was was a very good feeling, especially because I didn't have to do it by myself. Um, I don't know if I told this story last time, but the day that I went over this pass, I somehow just randomly stumbled across a group ride of like a thousand people that were doing an event that was riding over three separate mountain passes. And so all day I was surrounded by other bicyclists. They had closed the road to traffic and it was great. And they had like... um little recharging stations where you could go and I had like oranges and a sandwich and water, like all this stuff was there and all these people cheering me on. Well, not, not me personally, but like no, cheering on personally. the group. Well, yeah. <laughs> and so, and so I'm riding and, and everyone's like, Hey, did you bring, cause I had my, my bags with me with stuff in them. And, th- and they were all like, what are you trying to embarrass us out here with all your stuff? I'm like, no, I didn't know you guys were doing this today. I'm just here cause I'm riding my bike. <laughs> <laughs> And so, and so it was fun to like meet all these people. And uh, yeah, so that was, that was a great day. That was for me. I remember that the, uh, the event is called the triple bypass and it happens in Colorado every, uh, it must've been August at this point. So every August or September. Going back to making things sound fatal. Like we earlier, we were talking about food. Oh, that's right. Foods that'll kill you. Yeah. Like the, the pizza that we had was the coronary. coronary, Not you. You didn't eat the pizza. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if you're eating pizza again. Oh yeah. I'm back to, I'm back to pizza. I've had some good pizza. Nice. Yeah. But yeah, Yeah, I I think they call it the triple bypass because they go over three mountain passes. Yeah. That Um, makes sense. Yeah. I will also assume that maybe someone in there, their group that founded it had had some kind of bypass thing, but I don't know. I did. I'm totally making that part up. So it sounded like you downplayed it. Like I was just riding my bike here today. Did you tell people you were biking across? The oh yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I said you know I'm on a I'm on a cross country journey. I just happened to stumble across this today, and yeah. so yeah, no, and and so instantly I made friends. I remember. Um, I wish I could remember this woman's name, but 
uh, as we were going up some of the hardest parts. And I was like, I think I might have to walk for a while. Um, this woman basically rode with me and had a half hour long conversation with me to kind of just like keep me motivated and just like, yeah, and distract. And it was so, it was so nice to have those moments because that happened a few other times too. Um, it was especially great because I wasn't used to the, the altitude at that point. And so I was getting lightheaded and dizzy and it was nice to, to just know that if I happened to faint, there's a lot of people around. Yeah. <laughs> it really took away a lot of that fear factor. That is really cool. Yeah. You didn't tell, tell uh, us that. That, that was, that was great. So that was, that was a triumphant moment for sure. Um, the end of the trip. I mean, the last day of the trip, I was determined to get to San Francisco in time for the sunset, which yeah. I kind of just barely made, but it was awesome. It was, there was an epic picture that I posted around of me holding my bike up. Uh, and that was a tough day because it was it was like 95 miles into some headwinds and with some pretty steep hills still out there because San Francisco is pretty famous for having a lot of hills. I remember there was one hill in particular I was going up. I wasn't even in San Fran yet. I, I had I had not yet crossed the Golden Gate Bridge, but there was a, a steep enough hill that I started to go up it and my front wheel actually sort of popped up off the ground because I had so much weight on the back of my bike. And that scared me a lot. So I got off my bike at that point and just walked up the rest of that hill but oh my gosh. imagine falling over the back of your bike <laughs> like oh. <laughs> very scary very scary unintentionally popping wheels yeah yeah <laughs> yeah Whoa. Where was, i was on some bike path i don't remember where this story is from but i i <laughs> definitely remember um riding past some teenagers on little like bmx bikes and they were just they were basically just riding on one wheel the whole time they're they're popping their wheelies and just going and i just remember like um a very brief conversation with them as I passed them. I was like, I'm really jealous of what you're doing. <laughs> and they sort of awkwardly as teenagers took the compliment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they don't you know. Teenagers don't necessarily know how to respond to a stranger saying that. Yeah. He's, he's down with that coolness, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Get into my van kids. Right. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, what, okay. I already heard this story, but Uh-oh. I really want, if you're comfortable telling it, I'll try the beach story. What beach story? The pick. The pick. Asking somebody to take your picture. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. No, I'll totally tell the story. This is great. I forgot about this. So, so the picture that uh, sort of represents the end of my trip was taken by these two random college kids that I had met on the beach. They were just there taking pictures of the sunset. I was exhausted. Like I said, I had just ridden 95 grueling miles that day. Um, and the beaches in California, I don't know if you're aware of this. If you're an East Coast person, our beaches are pretty narrow. You don't have to walk through a lot of sand to get to the ocean. But in California, there's a lot of sand. There's way more to walk through. So I'm at the end of my journey. I am probably more exhausted than I've ever been at any point. And I'm dragging my bicycle through this deep, deep sand and, I, and it has all this weight. And so I finally get to the end of this and I'm at the beach and I touch the ocean and it's great. And then I meet these two college kids. Um, and I just, I just walk up to them cause I see them taking pictures. I'm like, Hey, can you, I just rode my bicycle across the country. Can you take a picture of me on my phone with like holding my bike up with the sun in the background? Um, and 
they were kind of awkward. And I think the reason for this was afterwards, uh, when I finally got back to my hotel room, I noticed that, you know, because I was super gross and sweaty and doing this stuff all day, I just had like a pretty nasty snot, just kind of like hanging in the nostril, um, that I had no idea. And so I must have looked like a crazed person. Like, hey, can you take my picture with my bike? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, and you smelled it's, great. You definitely did. Oh, yeah. I'm always I'm sweaty fresh. That's what we call it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. bottle it up. It's delicious. <laughs> yeah. No, I was, oh, I was a gross, gross man for sure. Because it was, it was pretty hot at that point. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's wild. It's a good story. Thanks. It's a good end. Like a good <laughs> triumphant yeah. end. It's, yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, I don't think the detail is uh, good enough in that picture for you to go and see that I have a pretty gross face. But, I know. I didn't go back yet and look at it. Yeah. Now like, I'm going to have to go and see. Like, hey, where's the snot? <laughs> <laughs> Can I see this? Yeah. Just a gross <laughs> person. <laughs> yeah. That's the glamorous life of exercise, really. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then after that, yeah, you went up to Seattle. You spent some time there, met a bunch of people. You got to play with a lot of cool designers. Yeah, in Seattle, um, I got to meet the Pacific Northwest group. So uh, I actually stayed with Ashwin Kamath, who helps run heavyweight championship playtesting. Oh, is that the first time you've met him? In real life, yeah. So we knew each other for like a year or so before that um, because, well, so Ashwin and, and Bryn Smith and I started heavyweight championship playtesting and then I left and they've been doing it ever since, uh, along with David Willett, who is, um, he's from Toronto, somewhere in Canada. I forget exactly. But, uh, but yeah, so they've been running that. So I got to meet Ashwin and, and spend time with him and we started like designing a game together. That's a game you played last night. actually. Yeah. Um, and then I got to hang out with the Pacific Northwest playtesting group and I went on, uh, I'm going to forget their last names, but Nicole and Bo, run this group and they do like a, a Twitch sort of uh, show hmm. where they interview people. And so I got to be on that and that was really fun. Um, and I went and I volunteered at dragon flight and helped out in the playtesting area and playtested a bunch of games. So that was fun. I got to meet Randy Flynn. I think is his last name. He's yeah. on Cascadia. Cascadia is great. If you haven't played it. Oh my God. It's so good. I really enjoy that game. Yeah, I'm waiting to play. Like, my cousin got it, and I'm just like, can we play yet? Can we play? Yeah. <laughs> when are we going to do this? Right now. <laughs> yeah. All right. See you. See you later, guys. We're going to leave this recording, reflect in the silence, and I'll be back. Yeah, yeah. But uh, that, that game's really fun. Uh, that's probably the game I played the most when I was up there. Really? I think I played that like five or six times. Wow. Yeah. I uh, Yeah, I was listening to a podcast this morning, and they were talking about how they think they'll get rid of Calico because Cascadia just does it better. Oh, I haven't played Calico yet. Oh, so I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if I'll get rid of Calico because my wife knows how to play it and likes playing it. And I don't know if Cascadia will, will meet that wife requirement. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see eventually. Got to pick games that you can play with your partner. It's definitely true. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. Um, yeah. Well, we've played some of your games. That was really fun. Last time you came up, we played Rob's game. We played one of my games, but we didn't play one of your games. Yeah, and so it was kind of hard to carry games on the bike, so I didn't really do that. But now, now I am riding a car, so or driving a car. It's so weird to have to switch between. You don't have that much stuff though. Like when you came up and you just had like your little luggage, 
I was like, oh, oh yeah. Well, so more. I, I mean, I still don't have much. I I left some of the bike stuff at my brother's house in L.A. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Um, but I got I, I got some more things. I when I got to the West Coast, I was like, uh, where was I? In San Francisco, I needed pants because it, it was it was getting cold. So I, I bought my first pair of jeans that for a long time, <laughs> and I was like, all right, all right, we'll do this. Um, what else? Sorry, my brain's a little tired. No, that's fine. Anyway, so yeah, I have some more stuff because my I printed out some game stuff and my dad was kind enough to, he flew to LA and we, we did Thanksgiving in LA with my brother and his girlfriend. Um, and so he brought me some of my game stuff that I had put in stores. So I have a, bunch of, a bunch of little bits and blocks and all those things and QBs, all that stuff that you need um, to design games. And so I'm really excited to have that stuff again. So I, I just like, I've been designing like a madman. Nice. Um, yeah, so uh, one of the games you played last night was super fresh. Uh, I want to make, hey, designers out there, uh, I know that we we sort of poop on roll and move, but I think I think we should rethink that. Um, I'm not saying that we should, you know, go back and make Monopoly clones, but I think that the concept of rolling a die and using that die for movement is not bad, uh, as long as there's choice involved with that. And, and maybe I'm... Actually, I could be speaking from a place of ignorance. Maybe there are great games out there that use these mechanics. Uh, I know, you know, I've played like Merchant of Venus and you can, I think there's some element of roll and move in that game, but I remember feeling like I had choice over it. And so maybe, maybe I just need to play more of these games. But, uh, so one of my new designs is sort of inspired by trying to use roll and move as an interesting mechanic instead of a, a thing that we're all going to turn our noses up at. And I hope that, I hope we see a trend with that sort of thing. Like instead of sitting around and, saying that certain mechanics are bad. Uh, it'd be cool if we took it as a challenge to sort of reinvent that mechanic and be like, how can I reinvigorate this idea? I think that would be fun. Yeah. So, so I came up with this idea for a game where you're basically uh, a group of neighbors walking around your neighborhood. And so there is a roll and move element to the, the walking around your neighborhood part. Um, but it's kind of, um, I guess maybe it's worker placement-ish. You roll four dice and then you pick a die and put it on an action and then you do the number associated with that and do the action. So you could roll a bunch of dice and pick a five and put the five on the walk and you move five spaces, but you could also use it to plant certain flowers or pick certain flowers or discard cards in your hand or something like that. So I try to try to build some choice into the, you know, when are you going to move? What number are you going to pick to move? Hopefully that came across. I don't know. Yeah. You, it, you I liked it. it. Yeah, yeah. I really liked it. And, I going into it, I anticipated you were, you were definitely saying like, this is early. I really just want to make sure and <laughs> see how things feel. Yeah. yeah. And like, we definitely don't have to play the whole thing. And, and I wanted to finish it. Mm. You know, like, I had to finish it. I felt like I was like, okay, this is good enough. This is, this works well enough is entertaining enough that I, I like want to see the end. Cool. We have to make it to the end. We have to. And, and I absolutely trounced you. You did. I think, what was it, like 28 to 13? It's a victory yeah. point game. Sorry for the people out there that don't like victory points. Um, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah, it, it works. I mean, it's a it's a solid thing that works. Victory points is, are uh, are crucial to a lot of games. To a lot. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so that's something I, I just sort of came up with that idea a couple weeks ago. Actually, that's not true. I came up with the concept of wanting to make an interesting roll and move game when I was here in Salt Lake City the first time. I think when we I had talked about We talked it. a little bit, yeah. yeah. And so I finally followed through on that when I feel like I had time to yeah. sit down and design games. And I was thinking of like stuffed fables uses, um, like there's colored dice 
and you can roll them and then each color is associated with something else or you could move it to or use it to move something like that um, and so that's where i thought you were going to go with it but you did something more interesting i think uh, so i liked that uh, i did play i told you this but other phil phil mcneil from organized fun he's in the uk mm. we played jane austen versus zombies yeah. And it was really, it's fun. I've played it twice now or three times. I think I've played it three times. Yeah. Anyway, it's a lot of fun. And it, it's big mechanic is roll and move. Like you roll two dice and then you have, I don't know, eight characters. I can't remember exactly. Uh, and, and then you get to choose which characters you move with that amount of dice. So there's that element of choice. Like, do I let Mr. Darcy get eaten by zombies or am I going to spend some of those precious movements to move him right. closer to the ballroom or, you know, just, it, it was actually really interesting. That decisions. Cool. Is this a, is this a prototype still or is it? Yeah. A prototype. Okay. Well, I don't know. He made it for his friend. Uh, oh, oh, this is your joke. friend. Who's not so much like trying to publish his games. He's just like, I make games for fun. And yeah. Yeah. That sounds cool. I'd like to try that. But that he's like fun. made way more games than me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. He's awesome. So we try it. We've been trying to make a game together, but we keep getting distracted. So it's, it is what it is. I, I find too podcasting. I don't, this takes up a lot of my time, but so I don't get to like, work on the computer when i'm on the computer i'm usually editing and then when i'm done editing i'm like okay i need a break so i don't get back yeah on. yeah I, I find that like you only have so much creative energy for one day yeah and like i can do certain kinds of work pretty much all day long and it will not burn me out and then i can still go do something else but creative stuff specifically like i think i'm i kind of have a cap on that Right. So like how much can I do? Like if I, if I woke up this morning and I did a ton of writing, like am I going to be able to design games later in the day? And the answer is maybe, <laughs> um, or like, am I going to be able to edit video? Maybe. Cause there's, you know, it depends on the kind of editing. Like some editing is just, all right, I'm going in and taking out the parts that are like the ums and the ahs and stuff like that. And like, that's easy. But if, yeah. make, if, that, if I have to make a decision about like the structure of the video, that's a creative process. And if I've done too much of that, I guess I got to wait maybe tomorrow. Maybe I'll take a nap. Maybe yeah. I'll have a cookie. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's whatever gets you through the day. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you've been releasing your videos. You, I think last time you were on here, we talked about some of your videos that were going to be coming out. Oh yeah. Yeah. And now you've actually been I releasing have, them. I did. So. I was on, I was on a pretty good schedule there for like a video a week for a while. That's yeah. sort of, that, that dropped off when I went to visit my brother because I was spending time with the family and yeah. whatnot. Um, but I still have a few. So what I did was I stopped at interesting places and just filmed game design sort of philosophy stuff at those places. So uh, state borders I like. I think they're fun. So I stopped at some state borders and just talked about like playtesting tips. Um, I have, I think the one... I'm working on right now is when I, I borrowed Rob's car to drive to Great Salt Lake and I stood in the lake and re recorded a video about um, why playtesters should feel comfortable calling a playtest early uh, and why you should empower your playtesters to feel that way so that that will be the next video to come out um, and then I did a video I don't think I did another one until I got to San Francisco I might be forgetting one but I definitely went back to 
not the not the day that I finished, but I went back to the the, the ocean at Ocean Beach and filmed a, a thing there about like setting goals and stuff like that. It felt appropriate because I was like, I set the goal to go across the country, and now I'm filming it after I accomplished the goal. So yeah, um, that's really cool. Yeah, I liked that one. I don't know if I was coherent, and I don't know how I'm going to deal with all the sound of the ocean in the background. Um, so I think that might be why I'm putting that one off. But uh, but yeah, it, that was sort of one of my ways to commemorate the trip was to uh, you know film some game design stuff along the way. Um, I also have I have a ton of footage from the trip that I just have to go through of like the places I went to. I wasn't specifically doing it to to make like travel videos. I'm not into that. I don't think that's something I'm passionate about. I think I think other people just do that better anyway. Um, you know, people that I watch, Ryan Van Duzer is a fantastic um, cycling videographer. Like that's his shtick. He's been doing it for decades. Um, and, and his videos are great, but he gets like this amazing drone footage, like following him while he's riding the bike and just, oh, yeah, yeah, he's, he's phenomenal. Um, and there's, there's a lot of other people that do that. And you don't even have a GoPro, that. do you? I have a GoPro. You do? Oh, yeah, did yeah. you use it? I did. So, uh, I have the GoPro attached to my bike on like the handlebars oh. for a decent amount. I actually used the GoPro to film. Did you see the video of the two dogs that I met? I don't think so. So this was, this was one thing I put up. Um, I was in South Dakota and I was riding on a grass road. I don't know. Did did we talk about grass roads? Uh, No. So this was an interesting part of the country. So you've heard of dirt roads, obviously. Right. Well, some roads are just grass. And, um, I was, they kind of just go through people's farms, um, and in South Dakota, I was on a few miles of just a, a road made out of grass. And you can kind of see the tire tracks of where cars have driven on them. But there are street signs. 460th Avenue is one that I specifically remember. And, and they're they're called that. And they're all laid out in, in a grid across the whole state of South Dakota. Yeah, um, They're not all grass. Some of them are dirt and some of them are, are actually paved. But um, there was this section where I, I met two stray dogs. And they were so friendly and they like immediately came up to me and like jumped up on me and they were, they wanted to hang out. Um, so I took some, some film of these dogs and they just followed me. I had like an escort of these two dogs through this farmland oh, for wow. miles. And, and I cut together a quick, like two minute video and that's up on my YouTube and it's just, <sighs> it's, I'm gonna go watch it's that. so cute. It's, it's so good. Um, I fa- one of the dogs sort of broke off. Uh, um, so I, I wasn't able to, to help that one, but the, the one that stayed with me for a while, I eventually found a farmhouse and was like, Hey, this dog's been following me. I think it's a stray. Can you, can you help out? And so he offered to take it in, which was great. Yeah. Yeah. So that's cool. A dog found a home. Yeah. You so did. You did. That. I helped. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully. Yeah. So that was cool. Yeah, um, interesting. But so that's like some random footage like that from the trip that I just have to go back and look at. Like I, I do want to make a video of, I just, to occupy my time, I would like sing goofy songs and or like, like I would make up, um, alternate lyrics to songs that existed. Oh, of I course. Would definitely sing about tacos. Cause I love tacos. Let's hear it. No, no, no. <laughs> it will, it will debut on this video. Okay. All me, right. All right. I, but, but, but stuff like that, like just goofy things that I want to put together and, even if, I'm sure my family will care about it. I don't know if anyone else in the world will care about it, but my family will get a kick out of it. That'll be fun. I know at least one other listener after your last episode went and watched These Bad Larrys. Oh, These Bad Larrys. I watched it too. Did you watch the whole thing? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Was I it an emotional it. roller coaster? It was. Yes. All right. Weirdly <laughs> enough, so like, 
Um, it's been long enough now that I can't remember which episode takes a turn. Is it like four or five? It's around five or six, I think. Maybe, yeah. Actually, I think it's five, where like all of a sudden we we meet Larry Seven and we have his day at work. There's like, it's not about the golf anymore. It's more about the personalities of the golf balls. Yeah. So things, yeah. things switch tones for sure. Yeah. It was interesting. Cause like the first couple ones, I was like, Oh yeah, these are fun. They're, they're, just goofy. they're entertaining. Goofy. Yeah. And then all of a sudden there I was, started telling a story eventually. After yeah. That. Yeah. Doing like somebody's day. Yeah. And I was like, what in the world? When did I start caring about these <laughs> yes! golf balls? <laughs> I'm glad that, I'm glad that came through. And it just like, just went further there. And then there was an episode that was like back to essentially the first episodes almost where like mm. you didn't necessarily do much with the personalities st- or the golf balls. Yeah, yeah. But then there was a little bit interchange. Yeah. Like yeah. You, you weren't involved and in- it was good. It was just like, whoa, thanks. Great job. Appreciate it. Go watch these bad Larry's. These bad Larry's. <laughs> if this is your uh, first time hearing about these bad Larry's, um, I, so my pandemic projects to keep my sanity, I had to, I basically tried to learn new stuff. Um, and so I learned um, or tried to learn how to use like Premiere Pro and do some videography type stuff. So I would go golfing with my dad and my brothers. And uh, this was just a way for me to kind of enjoy that and bond with my family. And so I would take yellow golf balls, which I love, they're my favorite. And I would draw faces on them and I would give them personalities. And every single golf ball is called Larry. And some of them are called Larry one, Larry two, Larry three. And you just you get a new Larry when you lose the old Larry. And I was adept at losing golf balls. So that happened pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty rare that from like episode to episode you'd have the same Yeah, golf that, ball. that doesn't happen very often because there's always a lake or some some bushes or trees to lose your balls in. So Yeah. Golf is hard. I don't know if you ever tried it. <laughs> Shank, I used to call shanking balls. Hank. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> But we didn't have as much obstacles. They would be like, they're like a neighborhood, almost, you know, like, it's just a big, the only place would be a lake. Oh, I see. Okay. But other than that, we didn't have like big, uh, now I can't remember what they're called, like roughs. Yeah. Whatever they are. Yeah. Eh, Anyway. um, Yeah, definitely worth a watch. Cool. That was fun. Thanks. uh, I was going to say something else about that, but. Oh, well, we got distracted. Play we're test. all over the place. Yeah, yeah, we are. So we played your game about picking flowers and walking through the neighborhood. Because I wanted to do a roll and right. Because you wanted to do a roll. Not roll and right. I'm sorry. Roll and move. Roll and move. That's yeah, different. Move. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then after that, we played one. What? Well, yeah, it was, a, it was the coup type one. Yeah, it does. It kind of reminds me of coup. Um it was so. This is a co-design uh, with Ashwin, and we we were just kind of riffing back and forth. Um, and so we wanted to design a game together, so because we were going to spend a couple weeks together, but we didn't really know where to start. So we decided it would be cool to take to take an older game that we thought was kind of just okay and see if we could riff on it. Coup is not the older game that we took. I, I love Coup. I think Coup is a great game. I won't name the game that we just think is kind of okay, but we pulled the game out and we started messing with the components. Uh, and we were both like, yeah, this is kind of interesting. There's something here. And then we just started talking about, you know, what could we change about this game that would make it interesting? And that conversation blossomed into just a completely, totally different design. Um, but as far as like 
brainstorming tips go. Like, I think that's really valuable. Like take out an old game that you're just kind of feel like meh about and be like, what would I do to make this different and interesting? And so that's, that's what we did. And so what we came up with is uh, it's an 18 card game uh, that has a lot of like bluffing and deception in it. And basically you're competing for uh, control over these little kingdoms. You want to get four kingdoms to win the game or run your opponent out of power gems. And uh, there's this element of you, there are nine characters, you each get three, and then there are three set aside, so you don't know what three are missing. And then you put them all face down, in one in front of each kingdom, and then you like declare what your character is. And so this is the part that reminds me of Ku, because I'll say, like, I have a monarch, which is the sort of the most powerful character in the game. And then my opponent has to make a decision if, if they want to fight the monarch or not, basically. Yeah. Um, and so you get these really fun moments of, like, when do you lie? When do you tell the truth? You know, what kind of lies do you want to tell? When do you, like, call your opponent's bluff? Um, and it's still a pretty early design, uh, but I think it's fun. I've had some really fun moments with it. I had minimal feedback for that one. That's like, true. Minimal feedback. <laughs> yeah, it was... I had a lot of fun playing that one. And, yeah, like... I've played the coup before, and that's a great game. I only played it online, so I feel like I need to play it in you person. You have to play that yeah. in person. That's right? so good in person. Because <laughs> that's like part of it. You have to like be able to try and read people and be like, oh, oh yeah. Are you lying? And the, well, part of playing coup, I think, is just the showmanship of it. Yeah. Uh, so like, I liked that aspect, and I got that. I understood that quickly because of the coup, but there was mm. more to the game than that. Like, So when I said, you know, the coup type game, it was. There's only, there's one aspect to it. Yeah, yeah. And it's a very fun control and gaining the kingdom gives you a power or a, or a little boost or something that, that might give you the advantage. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. And I never lied. (laughs) I lie a lot. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I like to lie in games. (laughs) I, it's weird. Like, I guess in real life, I have a hard, I don't lie. So oh, you're a real you gotta, piece of you, work. Yeah, you no. gotta, you got to practice lying all the time. <laughs> yeah, you think I biked across the country? I actually just threw a bike in a car and and drove sixty miles a day and then stayed places. Nice. I just took some pictures with the bike. Yeah. You'll never know. <laughs> I wouldn't. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be some intense con right there. That would be. Yeah. It'd be weird. I feel like it, that would be more work than. Well, I don't know. No, no. I think it definitely it would be more work. Yeah. Do you? Oh yeah. I'd well, be, you'd have to like bike into town. And then bike back out of town to your your hidden car. Yeah. And then keep going. Yeah, forget that. That's yeah. rough. So your last game. <laughs> the last game of yours we played. Was- now that we've undermined the trust. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excellent. The, the last one, it was something new to me. It was called Arkham Horror. Third edition. And he said he designed it. So I, you know. Yeah, I spent a lot of time on that one. <laughs> I hadn't heard of it before. It was cool. Yeah. Great game. Yeah. Uh, no, it was <laughs> it was a cool one because it was like, it's that whole thing of, um, not that the original game isn't fun, but taking something that's like very basic. Very, people know, are they're very familiar with the mechanics. Tic-tac-toe. Like, yeah. Who doesn't know how to play tic-tac-toe? I think just about everyone. Yeah. yeah. And then spicing it up. Spice it up. Yeah. So the last game we played is called Tic-Tac-No. And uh, one person is the dog and one person is the cat. And you are trying to get three in a row. And sort of the trick is that uh, you both play simultaneously. Uh, so I might play the middle spot and 
my opponent might play the middle spot. We might both be going for the same thing. Uh, but if it's my turn and my opponent knows where I'm going, then they steal the spot for me. It's kind of the idea there. Uh, and then it would be that person's turn. So it's a whole lot of like trying to guess where your opponent is going to go. And if you guess correctly, you can take control of the game. Uh, and so it, it takes an old concept and takes away the whole, we're going to have draws all the time because that's how this game works. It's no longer solved because you have the simultaneous play and there's a, that self element of hidden information and, and Yomi, which I think was a new, new word for Riley. Yeah. I hadn't heard that yeah. before. So I, I think I encountered this word. Uh, I think it's used in Jesse Shell's art of game design, which is a book that if you haven't read, Every designer out there should read that book. This is like the game design 101 book, like college course that you yeah. should like. I have really it on do. my phone and I was reading it for a while, but I don't think I got that far. I, it might not be in there. I, I I think it's in there. I think that's where like, I, I first discovered this concept. It, so my problem with that book, my big, big problem. Ooh, you got a big problem. Okay. Huge problem. I can only go like a page or two before all of a sudden I have new ideas for a game. Oh, that's a great problem. And then I start writing yeah. all these ideas down and then I'm like, well, okay, now I got to get back to reading yeah. this. But I'm, I'm like, yeah, too many distractions. It, is, it inspires too many ideas. That book is super inspiring. And actually, now that you've said that, I, I don't think that's where I saw this. I think where I okay. first saw this concept was in, oh, what is it called? It's, um, What's his name? Jeffrey Engelstein and uh-huh. Isaac Isaac Shavla? Shavlev? I don't remember their last names. So I'm butchering this, but Jeffrey and Isaac, yeah. who I've never met in real life, but I know that those are their first names, um, wrote a book called The Building Blocks of Tabletop Design. I think that's what it's called. That sounds right. Um, and it is basically an encyclopedia of game mechanics. Oh. And I think that that's actually where I came across this Yomi thing. And so anyway, um, nice. that that's another book that you could just open to a page and you'll be inspired to design five or six different games just yeah. from that. Um, but Yomi is the concept of like reading your opponent. It's the whole like, it's like the Princess Bride thing where you sit down with um, with the two poison drinks or the one poison drink or, or whatever that, that scene is with the poison drinks. And you're like trying to deduce, did my opponent put the poison drink in front of me or is it in front of themselves? And should I switch the drinks? And it's this like sort of double mind F thing. Yeah. <laughs> it, I've liked it a lot. Like uh, there was, I mean, the, how I ended up taking the win. You was, did. You crushed me. I felt yeah. bad. <laughs> he had a win or he had like one possible win area. And so it was like, well, I have to play there just in case he plays there but he could also play here. Like there was a little bit of a wait there for my decision. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I thought, okay, well, even if he plays somewhere else, at least I'll still have a chance to maybe get the win. But yeah, you ended up playing there and I I got it. Yep. You read me and I I lost and that's how that works. Yeah. (laughs) And I won. uh, What's your other one called? Oh, you don't have the. What? The flower game? No, no. The middle one. Oh, co-design. Uh, Kingdoms of Amalith. Oh, yeah, that's what it was. Yes. Something like that. Yeah. We just combined our last names for that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'll probably... Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you just beat me at every game I designed. Oh, my goodness. I won Wow. I got swept. Yeah. I and didn't then... even connect that. Oh, me. <laughs> it's yeah. nothing. It's nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no big deal. Riley's a shark. I think that's what's <laughs> going on here. 
Yeah, I am. Yeah. I play nice. <laughs> I, you know, play all innocent, but really, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. Uh, <laughs> but then you beat me at my game. Did I? Did, I thought we didn't finish. Well, we, I think we went as far as we could. We went as far I as we could. I was ahead. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's and you fair. had the one, you were one up. So. All right. All right. I'll take it. Yeah. I appreciate you throwing me a bone there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Got to let them win every once in a while so they come back. <laughs> That's what it is really. Like, actually, I remember hearing that with uh, in certain play tests, especially like when you're pitching, uh, sometimes you want to let them win. Oh, Make really? it a close game or something, but let them win so that they have that good feeling. Huh. I don't know if I would do that. I don't know if I could. Like, I like to win. I don't even care about winning, <laughs> but I like to put all put my all in it. And if I lose, I'm happy to lose. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, and you weren't, like, you weren't a jerk about losing by any means. You weren't oh, no, upset. no, no, no. Yeah, I, but, I, like... I got into this conversation recently on a Discord server because we were talking about victory points. And someone was like, when I see a victory point game, I just want to run the numbers and make them as high as I can. And I was like, well, that's not really how I experience them. I just want to have one more point than my opponent at the end of the game. Yeah. And uh, and sort of going back and forth with this person about this, eventually I was like, well, my enjoyment of games are in this order to win by a little bit, to lose by a little bit, to win by a lot, to lose by a lot. Those are the four outcomes of like a victory point game. Yeah. Um, and, and that's how I would prefer to experience them. So, yeah, I feel you. I am trying to win. But if I lose by a little bit, that's a satisfying experience anyway. Yeah. This, you know, as long as everyone's trying to win, like that's important. But y- Yes. Yeah. yeah. You don't want to. It's not fun game. playing with somebody. Yeah. Throwing which, I, which I think is why I wouldn't be able to do that. That like, yeah. sort of like throwing a game on purpose to, to change it. Because then actually to me, if I feel like I have to do that in a pitch, then like the game's probably not ready. If the game doesn't produce that sort of tension all by itself, like if I can, if it's possible to just trounce someone like a hundred to one or something, I mean, that's a, a huge exaggeration, but like, like maybe, maybe the game needs more work. Yeah. 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 Who knows? It's, it's an interesting thing. I, yeah, I wouldn't be able to do it. I, I guess actually, I've I've thrown a couple games for my wife. <gasps> yeah, but that's because I want her to keep playing games with me. <laughs> Does she listen to the podcast? No, thank goodness. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. She'll never listen to this. <laughs> so don't you ruin well, it. Well, I guess I guess if you want to spend time with people you love, then maybe you make different decisions. Yeah. All right. You're heading. Over toward where are you going? I forgot Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah. So from here, uh, I'm driving to Madison, Wisconsin, which is one of the towns that I visited on this trip that, like, I kind of might just want to move to. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, but I'm going there because there's a Protospiel there, uh, Protospiel Madison, which is um, a long event. It's like Thursday through Sunday. And that Thursday is, I think sort of like a separate, separate event from the protospiel, but it's still run by those people or whatever. But basically it's um, a day of like workshops and panels and stuff like, you know, come learn how to do a bunch of game design stuff. Um, and that's, that's going from like eight to like 11 at night or something. And it's like going to be exciting. Yeah. Uh, and then the next three days are all just like all play tests all the time. Uh, so I'm really excited about that. So that's my adventure in Madison. And then I'm going to Philadelphia for PAX Unplugged, uh, spend some time in the Udpub area and do some more playtesting. 
And also like that to me is just going to be really fun because I get to see people from the East coast that I haven't seen in a long time. Like in like since even before the pandemic, like, you know, I got to see a few people before I left when we were, you know, all fully vaccinated, but you know, not everyone was fully vaccinated before I left. So I didn't get to see some people. Yeah. Um, but now I'm, I'm really excited to just, you know, reconnect with some old friends and family and, and stuff like that. So that'll be fun. And then after Philly, I'm driving to Maine. Uh, we're going to have a design retreat. Uh, John Breger, who runs Breger Creative. I think that's what he's called. The Breger Creative Studios or something like that. Anyway, it's a development house for board games. Um, is running a design retreat in Maine. So we'll get up there with a group of like, I think like, it's like 15 designers um, mm-hmm. and just meet for a week and prototype and play test and hang out and uh yeah that'll be a really great experience wow that i'm excited about and then i'm finally going to go back home to rhode island and uh spend christmas with the family okay but wait but wait but wait Mm. in between there somewhere you've got to drive the car back to la after that so So after the retreat so you're going so all the way to maine after so i'm going to maine and then to rhode island for the holidays and then after new year's i'm going back to la and maybe I'll be going back to LA to live there. It is definitely my top choice as far as like looking for jobs right now. I'm, I'm in a place in my life where I can move wherever I want. So I'm looking for jobs all over the country, all sorts of weird jobs. I used to be a teacher, but now I don't want to do that. So I'm just throwing throwing everything out there to see what I, what I could do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, LA's on the list. Uh, basically every city that has a record, a cool design community is on the list. So <laughs> LA and Seattle and San Francisco and Madison and Chicago. Uh, those are the top ones, I think off the top of my head. Oh, yeah. and Salt Lake city. Let's not forget about that. Yeah. Although you told me yesterday about the inversion and that scares me. And I don't know if I want to live in a place I know, that, I really that has a, a scary <laughs> weather phenomenon that has to do with pollution. I don't know. Sorry. Of course, I'm talking about LA, and that that's known for pollution too. So. Oh yeah, with the well. Yeah. So I would I would definitely live near my brother in Hermosa Beach, and that's so it's more closer to the shore, so you, you get the offshore oh, okay. breeze, so that kind of counteracts. And all right, it's all better. Right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I shouldn't have told you that. I could have had you. you shouldn't have told. Yeah. You should have just said, "Oh like, yeah, no, that's just the fog. <laughs> that's just fog. Yeah, yeah. No, it's fine. It won't kill you." You can't see those miles a couple far or miles away. Yeah. Those mountains. Oh those, my goodness. Those, those, ma- those miles that are a couple mountains miles. away. <laughs> <laughs> That's staying in there. Oh, I made I mean, a mistake. I, I thought that thought it sounded great. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. word slip ups. Uh, one of my oldest friends from high school, the first time I went to his house, we were probably, this was actually middle school, I think. So, eighth grade, I'm warming up something in the microwave, and he had uh, one of those older microwaves where like the food didn't like spin around. It, oh, just, yeah. it just kind of stayed there. And I remember distinctly saying to him, cause I was surprised by this. I was like, Hey, uh, Nick, the, your micro is weird at my house, the spood fins. <laughs> and he was like, the what? <laughs> and I was like, uh, I mean the food spins, but that's okay. And that's still a story that we remember. Cause this was like one of the first times I think, I think it was like literally the first time I went to his house. So his first impression <laughs> of me outside of school was, was me being, uh, the spoon tongue, fins. The, the spoon fins, man. And so, yeah, we talk about that a lot. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. So word slip-ups are fun, and they can strengthen your old friendships exactly. by providing you constant humor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so you'll be able to see the miles, yeah, <laughs> mountains so, ahead. Right. So so years down the road, 
when when Riley and I are old men playing board games, we're yeah. going to talk about, hey, uh, that that space looks like it's it's a couple mountains away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I look forward to it. Excellent. Well, let's uh, close out with um, last week's episode. At the end of the episode, I will have read. I haven't done it yet, but I will have. I will have for you listeners read the fond memories of times with board games. Ah, uh, yes. And you shared yours with mine. And so I thought that'd be a good way to close the show. Yeah, yeah. It's a cool one. So one of my fondest memories of board games is I was once in a Risk game that lasted for five years, and I was eliminated twice. And basically how this went down was... Um, so this was a, a group of high school friends, uh, our gaming group. We used to play a ton of Risk growing up. That was like our thing. Um, and so we were kind of playing one last game in between our freshman year of college and our sophomore year of college. And this one was kind of special because we had some people in the group that transferred schools. And so they were going away um, and we weren't sure when we were going to get back together. So this was like the day before people were set to leave. We started a risk game. I got eliminated on like literally the second turn. I, I think I took one turn and then I was totally wiped from the board. People were just like, all right, Phil. We love you, but we don't care. We're going to just, you're out of here. Um, and and they were all over my house in my garage uh, hanging out. That was kind of where we used to, to play. And they, they, they played for hours, but then they hadn't resolved the game and people had to go. They had family stuff to do, you know, all that stuff you have to take care of before you leave. So instead of just calling the game, we wrote the game down. We took down meticulous notes as to, you know, which, what countries had what troops in them and what cards people still had. And we took this uh, piece of paper and we taped it to the wall in my garage. Uh, and so because, uh, of just the way schedules worked out that, that group never managed to get back together for five years. <laughs> like people would come and go from that group and we would hang out and we, we would see the risk game on the wall <laughs> and the legend of the risk game would grow, especially when new people would come over. Like, you know, the gaming group would change and other people would, would come over and we'd start playing different games at that point. Um, it was more like a D and D kind of thing at that point. But, uh, but everyone would talk about this legendary risk game. It's like, are you ever going to finish? Are you ever going to finish? And then finally one day, about five years later, um, we had almost everyone in one place, except for one person who still couldn't make it back. So we agreed that I would fill in for that, that person. And we started the game again. And of course, I was eliminated in my substitute role very quickly. <laughs> uh, but we did finally finish the game. And uh, it's just like the legend of this risk game is, is just a permanent part of these, these friends I have um, yeah. from high school. So I have, I have like two different gaming groups. I have my high school group. And then I have a group that I sort of met when I was college age and going to gaming stores and stuff. Oh, nice. Yeah. And so it's, it's fun to have both of those groups from home. And, yeah. Yeah, but that's that's my gaming story. A risk game that lasted five years, and I, I at my own house, <laughs> got eliminated twice. <laughs> so brutal. Yeah, who won it? I, I don't. Do you know? I'm not, not going to give him credit on, okay, on in any kind of public yeah. forum. <laughs> that's a good call. That's a good yeah. call. <laughs> well, oh, you also told me because you guys played Risk quite a lot. We did. That you had a oh yeah so second place we, so the second place <laughs> I'm not sure if I'd call this a prize or, or just a tradition a, a tradition yeah so uh, in in risk the the second place person the person who had their their last piece eliminated from the board last uh, we would take that piece and we would melt it with a lighter <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't remember how that came about yeah. I'm, I'm sure that was did you even yeah. do that in the five year later game. 
Do you remember? I don't remember. No. I'll, I'll ask. I'll ask around. We're going to pretend you did. I mean, it would have been a sweet tradition. We probably would have. Yeah. 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 This is, this comes from, uh, so some of my friends growing up, uh, were smokers. And so we had lighters available. Yeah. <laughs> in ashtrays. And yeah. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. So we were just melted into, yeah. It into was the fun. ashtray. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. And, and, and usually not like completely melted. So we would just sort of deform them. You know, melt off pieces. I don't know if you remember the risk from the nineties had these interesting, like sort of tri corner plastic pieces. Um, and those were the ones that would get melted. I'm trying to think of it. That would have been like when I would have played, it was in like the mid nineties. I don't know. Yeah. Cool. But yeah, yeah. so those are some of the weird gaming traditions we also had for D and D. We had a wall of shame. Uh, if your character died, you got, you got taped to the wall. Nice. Oh, <laughs> that that's was fun. Kind of fun. One of our uh, one of our most memorable character deaths was there was a lake with two boats and a waterfall, and there was no other there was really no conceivable way to get down the waterfall except uh, they detected magic on the boats and one of them was clearly magical and one of them was clearly not and one of the characters decided uh, he was kind of sick of his character at this point uh, but one of the characters was like I'm going to take the not magic boat and the rest of the group took the magic boat. <laughs> and so they both just kept going towards the waterfall. And I, I kept like, as a DM, I'm like, you know, Hey, uh, the magic boat seems to be uh, a lot more buoyant than the not magic boat. <laughs> Are you sure? Maybe you don't want to move over. He's like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, he just, he just fell down the waterfall. I mean, the magic boat floated down the waterfall and, yeah. and the not magic boat crashed to a horrible death. Oh my um, goodness. <laughs> yeah, he, he wanted to stop playing that character. Anyway. <laughs> but it was just, it was a funny moment. And I think that's how we started the wall of shame. It's like, Hey, if you're not going to take the magic boat, you're going on the wall. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it. So what uh, would it say? Their character and their cause of death. No, we just took their character sheet and and put it oh, up there. Okay. And so then, like you know, the, the people would just tell the stories of their characters. Like, yeah, I'm up there because I didn't take the magic boat. Nice. And then, like anyone new in, in in the group, would be like, "What do you mean you didn't take the magic boat?" <laughs> <laughs> and it was just fun to sort of tell the story. You know? Yeah. Yeah, those are good times. That makes sense. Yeah. That's cool. Look at that. Lots of fun. Yeah, lots of fun memories. Yeah. Board gaming. I think that could be a whole episode if you if you just like talk about fond memories of board games. Oh, you're totally right. I mean, the last time I was on here, I think one of the thing one of the stories I told was about game playing Hero Quest with my grandfather. That's true. Yeah, and that, that's a huge fond memory. Yeah, yeah. So I, people have tons of them. That's why that's one of the reasons that I think we connect emotionally to board games is we have these fond memories of them, and they help forge relationships. And yeah, relationships are important. Well, if if you just played a game, a board game, and it left you like completely placent complacent placent placid placid what what would be the word i think some of those were words yeah if you just devoid of all emotion and you were just like well i win right and you're like oh okay we play i the see game. you have defeated me in yeah. this task very well, sir. Shall we now gather the components and place them in the receptacle? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that exactly. doesn't sound like uh, a whole lot of fun. No. Yeah. So we would we probably wouldn't play games if we didn't have like emotional ties to them. It's true. Maybe. Yeah, I'm sure. Oh, no, definitely. I mean, yeah, I, I have I'm emotional sure. ties to games. Games create emotion, but they also create emotion because you're with friends. And, yeah. You know, a lot of fun game moments are made because of 
friendships personalities. I yeah. think that's why role playing games are so good because you're just you're throwing all that personality is is always happening. Yeah. yeah. Well, oh, you know, two weeks ago from when this episode airs, Chris Playstead talked about narrative in games and how that helps tie them to your memory because it's like it it gives you a reason to care about a game Mm -hmm. care about your character or you know what you're playing or beating you you know like if we're playing dune imperium and it's like you know i want to take you down like yeah Yeah, yeah. you know like i'm gonna be the triumphant one i'm gonna have the most spice Mm. whatever it is i haven't played dune imperium does that come across (laughs) Oh, uh, well, Dude Imperium is great. Um, I would say it comes across in the sense that there's there's elements of combat in Dude Imperium. Yeah. And there's there's tension there for sure. It's a it's a victory point game. Yeah. I say, I say with quotes. Because um, it's first to like nine it's or something, isn't it? Ten. Ten? Okay. Yeah. Uh, but you can get points in very different ways. Uh, yeah. Some of it's through combat. Some of it's through buying certain cards. Yeah. So but like, does the game tell a story? Is that kind of what you're getting at? Well, like this, it, whether it has like an actual narrative story or the stories we create while playing it, just like, oh yeah, I think especially the more epic ones, the ones I look back on, there, yeah, there are stories of those games. Oh yeah, definitely. Then maybe this will become a new standard question of like, what's a fond memory you have? Should be. What's a, yeah. a memorable memory? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think that might be a new segment. Memorable memories. Memorable memories. Rememberable memories. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Yeah. And I think, hmm. Oh, we didn't do a ridiculous theme. We didn't. Should we do that real quick? I mean, I I can ridiculous theme. Let's do it. Oh, there's my cat at the door. (laughs) So you're a cat. And yeah, yeah. So it's a roll and move game. Because I'm trying to make interesting role Of course, games. of course. And you're moving your cat around some kind of board. And uh, there are all these doors that are closed. And you don't want them to be because you're a cat. And, uh, yeah, you have different options. You can you can reach your paw under the door and try and grab <laughs> stuff. Specifically, you can play with a little knobby thing uh, that's like the doorstop thing. Yeah. That, that makes a really cool sound when you, when you yeah, that thing. Uh, or you can scratch at the door. Because that's more of a dog thing. Is that dog thing? Dog thing? Or your cats, do cats do it too cats sometimes. Do sometimes. Uh, Usually but, it's the under the door. Like they're doing now. Oh, she stopped. Yeah. But but the real power move, and this would probably cost a lot of resources, is to just sit there at the door and meow. Just oh, constantly. Yeah. Just meow, meow. And yeah. It's like and, and the goal is to, is to wake up as many people as possible. Ooh, there you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or like maybe there's a different goal involving uh, the bathroom. Because I know, you know, cats, in, you know, Oh, you're in the bathroom? Let me reach my paw under yeah. and try and get your foot. <laughs> you ever been in a really small bathroom that's small enough that the cat can touch your foot while you're sitting on the toilet? No. Those are scary. You know what, <laughs> Sometimes our doors don't close all the way. Uh, so quite often you'll be going to the invaded. bathroom and it'll be like, Poosh. Do you want some company? <laughs> yeah. I heard you were pooping. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's great. It happens very often. Which is part of why I told you to close that door downstairs. Oh, because I was going to get Because I figured, like, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, they would either come and sleep with you, which that's would fine. be adorable, yeah. or they'd come in on you while you're pooping. Cats make great sleeping companions and they hats. They do. And hats, <laughs> hats yeah. yeah. These ones aren't hats. I wish. I kind of wish. That's cute. Yeah. And they, like, drape over your head. Yeah, yeah. So when I was... 10 or so. I had a cat all growing up and uh, around 
that this lasted for like a year or so that my cat, I would wake up with my cats basically not sitting on my head, but, but laying on the pillow over my head so that her hind legs were on like the right side of my head and her, her front legs were on the left side of my head. So, so she, she was my cat head. Nice. Yeah. Great cat. I miss her. I thought of my ridiculous theme. All right. And this goes to a story that you told me. Oh, all right. But didn't tell me on the podcast. Okay. So so now you can fill in. It's going to be a push your luck game. Okay. Where you tie an object to a faucet. (laughs) (laughs) Such as like, let's say like a latex glove per se. Can I tell the story? <laughs> so, yes, yes. I don't know how this came up. Uh, I think we, we were talking about childhood jobs. Oh, we were talking about woodworking because my uncle is a woodworker and I used to work yeah. with him. But anyway, uh, jobs as a teenager. So I used to work at a D'Angelo's, um, which if you don't have those, they're a really great sandwich shop. Uh, but, you know, this was like uh, I was like 16 or 17. I was working with a high school friend. And on Sundays specifically, we didn't really have anyone that I would consider to be in charge. Like there was a person in charge, but they were also just like another teenager. Um, so they didn't care. And so a lot of these days were like, you know, excessive breaks were taken. But one of the things we did is we had one of those big faucets in the back where we would obviously wash the, the dishes and the pans and stuff. Uh, but we wanted to see how much water we could fit into a latex glove. So we tied a glove to the faucet and we just turned the water on and a lot more water fits in those than you think is going to fit in those. I thought maybe it would burst open when we got to like basketball size or maybe beach ball size. This thing was so big. It almost filled the entire sink. It was as big as like one of those um, exercise balls, like a yoga ball or something. Um, it was huge. And uh, I don't know if you know this about water, but it's heavy. And so eventually that much water broke the faucet. The entire faucet ripped off the sink. Uh, and then there was water just going everywhere. So uh, the way we got out of this uh, was the person in charge uh, called the manager of the store and she said that as she was walking past the sink, she slipped in some water and she uh, grabbed onto the faucet and uh, to brace her fall and, and the faucet broke out. And so the general manager of the store was so grateful that she wasn't hurt and wasn't going to sue the store that we, we got away with it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes, teenagers uh, and jobs. Uh, yeah, fun times. So you could do that. Push your. That could be a game. Me. That's a. Uh, yeah. Is that like a cooperative game? Are we working together? Are we regulating the water flow? Maybe everybody has their own object, and they're like, "I think this will last." Oh, that's hilarious! And then there could be different <laughs> aspects of like, will the object burst, or will the tension like because you've tied it to the oh yeah, will that will part the rip, break, oh. or will the faucet break? So it's like three worse, you know, like it falling off and it's bursting aren't too bad. Right. But then it breaking is like this big is super bad. Yeah. That's great. I also like this idea of uh, uh, trying to get away with things, which is like a bluffing (laughs) game, right? That's like a social (laughs) deduction bluffing game of like. Hey, the faucet broke. Like, come up with your lie. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> so you're all you're all teenage employees at some <laughs> at some sandwich shop. Yeah, and, try and get away and things with are going wrong. Yeah, and and I could probably just think about all the other things I did that were bad. Like we definitely, I mean, we would we would make our own sandwiches. We, you know, we were supposed to get like one free meal per shift or something like that. But we would definitely experiment with that rule and uh, make different <laughs> sandwiches for ourselves. Um, I definitely, I don't know. I don't know if they have this at Subway, but because they have those cookies at Subway. Yeah. I don't know how they do those, but at D'Angelo's, we also had cookies, but we had like raw cookie dough in the back that was just in the shape of cookies. And so I would, I don't want to say regularly, but sometimes I would just eat the raw cookie dough. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I love raw cookie dough. It's so delicious. Me too. I don't care if I could potentially get salmonella from it. I will eat that <laughs> constantly. Yeah. I feel like those prepped ones, though, probably are like, they safer. probably don't have eggs. They're probably yeah. safe. Yeah. yeah. They gotta be. Yeah. I think they eventually caught on to that one, though, because they, they started... I, I forget, but at some point, I wasn't able to do that anymore. They locked the they, cookie they dough like, in the yeah, safe. Yeah, it was in the safe. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have the code to the cookie dough. <laughs> uh, uh, all right. Well, I think that's a great place to end. Yeah. Now that we've established I'm a terrible employee. <laughs> yeah. The worst thing I did was just make up songs. We used to work at a, oh man, though, I was a telesurveyor, so I would call people at dinner time pretty much. Oh, And be yeah. like, hey, can I ask you questions about your, you know, that was like when I was 16. Just mean to you. Yeah, yeah people yeah. were mean I all know. the time. Yeah, I did that a little bit. But it was a job with my high school buddies, and so mm-hmm. we would just make up songs like, Power Honda Valencia, <laughs> you know, like, and so anytime, because we would always get these same, like, California companies or East mm-hmm. Coast companies, you know, like car dealerships and so we just were like i wonder what their like jingles are and yeah yeah and just make them up and just oh that's cool yeah it was fun it's actually your secret advertising job yeah yeah these were days before youtube Mm. which is weird you know weird thinking about before youtube by yeah 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 like youtube came out i think the year after i was graduated yeah maybe i don't remember anyway why don't you plug your stuff Oh, do I still have stuff? I guess so. I st- plug so, it. Yeah, let's, let's plug some things. So I, uh, boardgamebike.com is uh, the website that has all sort of the details of my journey. Uh, I haven't updated it in a little while. I should do that. Uh, the most recent post is just sort of like a by the numbers thing. So if you're interested at all in like how many states I went through or exactly how many miles it was or how many flat tires I got or like by my longest day or anything like that, those numbers are on there. So you can check that out if you're thinking about riding a bike across the country which you should because it's fun. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at BoardGameBike and I have a YouTube, which I think is just also just BoardGameBike. That's, that's what my thing is. I don't have a, I have to get to a certain number of subscribers, I think, to have a custom URL. And so I don't have that yet, but you can find me. It's BoardGameBike. Yeah, just Google all it this stuff. or YouTube search it. Yeah, yeah, all that stuff. That's where I am. And if you're going to be at uh, PAX Unplugged or Protospiel Madison or really any game design event, I love playtesting people's games. Um, I'm happy to do that. I think, uh, especially in Seattle, that's like all I did. I I didn't bring any of my games out at all. I just play tested other people's stuff because uh, I enjoy doing that. So if you ever want to play tester and you see me at an event, uh, chances are I will say yes. Let's do that. So. And it's great. Like your feedback is good. Oh, feedback. thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah. And if you want, I'm actually going to start using that for like our play testing group. I want to show one of your videos and and be like. Here's uh here's how I want to structure our playtests. Cool. So, this is good. It's good. Thanks. 
stick around until the very end because Phil is going to share some final thoughts, kind of a lesson learned from his travels. Thank you for listening to the Board Game Community Show. I really loved having Phil on again. The guy is awesome. And if you're at PAX Unplugged, go find him and talk to him, play games with him, because he really is someone awesome to know. He's very genuine, and I appreciate that. I don't have a lot of announcements. Protocon switched from an in-person to an online format. Uh, With COVID, the numbers weren't quite where they needed them to be. And so we switched to an online format. Soon, sign-up sheets will be going out, and I'll tweet those out and put it on here as soon as that happens. Uh, But until then, in the episode description for this episode, you can go and look, and there will be a link to join the Discord if you want to do that, and you can be involved in the conversations happening there or, or just be present and then probably get the information even faster. If this is the first episode you've ever listened to, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it enough to go check out past episodes. You can just look through the catalog and I'm sure you might see somebody's name you recognize and want to get to know them better. Or you can just listen to the episodes backwards from here. Go and listen to Brian Chandler's episode last week. It was really, really enlightening, a cool conversation. We talked about colorblind accessibility and board games. Uh, We were joined by a friend of mine, Dustin Dowdle, who's also a board game designer. And we just got to talk about a a lot of that type of stuff and learn so many things. Like I, I just was in awe of all of the information. And it's something that, you know, needs to be addressed, I think, in the community. There's there's a lot of ways to to fix colorblind accessibility issues. Next week's episode is going to be Unfunded, a Kickstarter story. That might be the name of the episode. I don't know. I'm not sure. But I'm joined by two people who have had Kickstarters not fund. And we talk about that. Because just because a game doesn't fund doesn't mean it's not good. It just means there's lessons to learn. So tune in next week for that. If you enjoyed the episode, if you enjoy the podcast, let me know. You can rate it on on iTunes. Let's see. You can rate it on Apple Podcasts, share it with your friends, leave a review, at me on Twitter. I am Riley Stock. I'm at Nerd on Twitter. Or you can email me, theboardgamecommunityshow at gmail.com. One final thing, it's the holiday season, joyous time for many, stressful time for many as well. And this goes year-round. Take care of yourself, everybody. Your mental health is very important. Do what you need to do to make sure that you're in a good mental space or take the time, take breaks, play a board game, play a video game, watch a movie or whatever you need to do to help distract yourself, to cope, to get through any depression you might be having. You know, there's even just seasonal depression in winter. It's very normal. and, And if you need to, you can call a hotline. I put... I've been putting the suicide hotline in the episode description. So if you don't know that, you can go to the episode there or you can just Google suicide hotline, whatever you need to do. There's no shame in asking for help. Please, please, if you get low like that, if you're feeling down, reach out to somebody for help. You can you can at me, you know, again, Riled Nerd on Twitter or email me. I'll, I'll happily talk to you. 
And there's no shame in it. There's no shame in feeling that way. Thank you again for listening. I truly appreciate every single one of you. And I hope that you all have a happy holidays or happy end of the year, whatever you're celebrating or not celebrating. Just have a good, good time. huh? Until next week, keep nerding out. So I think, I think the other thing I didn't really talk about that for me, I, I'm trying to figure out how to say this still. Like I have an overall message from the bike trip that I'll try out here. Okay, great. So I, I often get these compliments about the bike trip. It was like, wow, that's amazing. What a great accomplishment. I could never do that. And that I could never do that is the part that I hear consistently and what bothers me the most. I just rode my bike. Kids ride their bikes. It's not that hard. I think we have this mentality as a species of before we do something, or if we see someone else do something, we attribute so much more to that than if we did it ourselves. And we think it's so much harder because we haven't gone through it or tried to do it yet. Um, and we have a ton of excuses to not do these things. And, uh, you know, some of those excuses are really valid. Like people have lives to lead and, you know, financial obligations and, and stuff like that. But a lot of them, I think we just put up in front of ourselves. Because uh, I, you know, I don't know, a couple of years ago, I was like, I could never ride a bike across the country. That's too hard. Um, and I, I cannot stress enough how after I've done it, I don't want to take anything away from it. Like, I do feel like I accomplished something, but it wasn't impossible. And it wasn't something that I feel is like even all that special. From the point of view of like, it wasn't like anyone could do it, I guess is what I'm sort of driving at. Um, and I think this applies to so much stuff. It's so not just like a bike journey, but like running a marathon um, or designing a board game or writing a novel or any of that stuff that people see as these monumental tasks that some people spend their entire lives thinking they should do. And then they don't do it. Like I know so many people that are like, I should really write that novel. You know, like that, that's a big one. I think that really sticks in people's heads. Oh, it's so hard to do that. And it's like, yeah, maybe if you try to do it all in one day, it took me four months to ride a bike across the United States and every day, not every day, but almost every day I did a little bit of that. I rode some portion of that journey. And I think if you took any of these big tasks out there that you think are so impossible to do and you just kept working towards them a little bit, not every day, but almost every day, I think you get there. And at the end of it, you, you find that it just wasn't this big thing that you had built up inside yourself. It wasn't so hard to do. And so I guess I just want people to hear that. And I don't quite know how to say it yet. And I think I did okay here. That was beautiful. I thought that was great. Cool. Felt like it. There's your TED talk. That's my TED talk. Yeah. Just, just do a little bit every day. Not every day, because we need breaks, and that's that's why I stress that. And I, I definitely needed breaks on, yeah. on the trip. Like I, there were some breaks that I took because I was physically exhausted, and there were some breaks I took because I was like, I'm mentally done. I don't know if I can do this anymore. I need to recharge, and those are awesome and important. As long as you know that. In a couple of days, you're going to get back to it. Yeah. Or tomorrow, you're going to get back to it. And you can accomplish those things that you want to do. And I think this sort of plays into imposter syndrome because, like, I've done this big thing, but I still don't feel like I've done anything in some ways. Yeah. And so, like, 
I'm sort of at odds with those two things. I have to acknowledge the accomplishment while also not downplaying it too much, but I feel like I downplay it because anyone could do it. And so there's like, it's, they sort of feed into each other. Yeah. But. I totally get that, but yeah, you did something huge. Definitely did. The people, yes, anyone could do, but they just didn't have, haven't had the courage yet or opportunity to necessarily. You make the opportunity. Yeah, I I get what you're saying. There's some element of that, yeah. Yeah. So I'm just saying, but like anyone really could go and do it. Yeah. You just need to start. That's my point. Yeah. And and the it is just whatever you're chasing. Like I don't know what your specific big thing is that you want to do in your life, but you could totally do it. 